I have been moved by the word preached over the last few weeks, and I'm so grateful, especially to Jordan last week. Um, Well, I don't know that you can hear that word without a rich appreciation for for the blood of Jesus. Amen. So we are going to hear this morning from from Jesus directly in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, So if you would, turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to be reading in verses 19 through 24. We've been in the sermon for a while now, and it's easy to miss uh, the forest for the trees. There is so much going on in the Sermon on the Mount. Um, The Beatitudes, and salt, and light, and Christ fulfilling the law, and the spirit of the law, and loving your enemies, and praying, and fasting, and uh, giving in secret, and the Father in secret. And there's just so much to focus on that sometimes you, you can miss the, the, the broad message. I found that the best way to regain sight of the force, the best way to study the Sermon on the Mount generally broadly, is to think about who Jesus is speaking to and what questions they might be asking. Now, by God's grace, we have a quick and easy answer to that question. Who is he speaking to? Let's look real quickly at the first verse of chapter 5. Seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain. So Jesus leaves the crowds And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. So Jesus is speaking to his disciples here in this sermon. Now, this is toward the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. And man, is he doing some amazing things. And he's saying some amazing things. And a lot of people are on board. These disciples are, in some sense, believers in Jesus. And they really want to follow Jesus. But they really have no idea what it means to follow Jesus. What does it mean to follow Jesus? That's the question this sermon is answering. What does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it look like to follow Jesus. And if you sit yourself alongside these other disciples and you're just waiting for Jesus to answer the question, what does it look like to follow you? I, I believe, you're obviously God's at work. I, I believe that what you're doing is, is the work of God and I want to go where you go. I want to do what you do. I want to be your people. What does that look like? Jesus is answering that question and boy... Does Jesus give a whopper of an answer? What does it look like to follow Jesus? It looks like weeping over sin and humbling yourself before others and desperately pursuing righteousness. It looks like extending mercy and making peace. 
fighting for purity, crushing anger, waging war against lust. It looks like treasuring your marriage and being honest and being careful with your words and speaking with integrity. It it looks like refusing to resist evil people and serving the wicked and loving your enemies. It looks like giving generously but hiding it from everybody and praying faithfully but hiding it from everybody and fasting regularly and hiding it from everybody. It looks like seeking only today's bread and forgiving debts and fleeing temptation and waging war against the enemy. Truly the call of Christ is an awesome and staggering invitation. To heed the call of Christ is to invest all of your time and all of your energy and all of your resources because the way of Jesus will take all you've got. And now sometimes you prepare for sermons and sometimes the week prepares you for sermons. I had the latter. I was reading over this to my wife after a spectacular display of my own foolishness. And I could barely make it through that list. The way of Jesus will take all you have. So I geek out about economics. I'm I'm a nerd. I like to read about economies and markets. And there's a fun game stock markets, stock market nerds play sometimes. The idea is you trace the stock price of the world's biggest companies back to their original public offering, right? Take, for instance, Apple. Apple. On December 12th, 1980, the first shares of Apple were made available at a whopping $22 a share. $22 a share. Since then... The stock has split five times, so each share purchased in 1980 is turned into 56 shares today. Now, if you had purchased 100 shares of Apple in 1980 at $22 apiece for a total investment of $2,200, that's real money, that stock would be worth $1,489,600 today. But here's the thing. There was an entire decade where between now and then when that stock was worth less than the paper it was printed on. A whole decade. 1997, you could have bought that stock for 12 cents. 12 cents. Each stock is now worth $266. If you were willing to endure decades of loss and hold out hope in the long-term vision of that company you'd be a millionaire for your $2,200 investment. That story I just told is doing sort of what this passage is sort of doing. So let's start reading Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. 
But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, the whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Okay, so on the heels of issuing history's most awesome and staggering invitation, Jesus presents his disciples with a series of choices. Two treasures, two visions, two masters. Three word pictures, one objective. It's time, Jesus says, to make a decision. I want to take them in turn and then we'll reflect on the choice we are being called to make. All right? So, first, let's reread 6 19 through 21. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So I think this is the simplest of the three passages. Because we're all familiar with treasure and we're all familiar with rust. We're all familiar with theft. And some of us may even remember the strong scent of mothballs. Right? Corruption, theft, loss is easily understood because this is a frail world. We have for decades celebrated the end of the Cold War. One man, one man makes a series of decisions and overnight all the questions about economies, all the questions about peace, all the questions about global stability are out the window. Nobody needs a clarification that this kingdom is shaky. Right? The focus in this passage is your resources. Broadly, not just your money. Don't just think about your bank account. Think about your time. Your, your labor is an investment. Think about your stuff. Think about your home and your food. You are going to invest these resources in one kingdom or the other. I want to draw near to a few aspects of this passage, though, before we shift to the next one. These first few words, which read in the ESV, do not lay up for yourselves, isn't a great translation. A better one is stop laying up for yourselves. Stop it. Stop laying up for yourselves treasures on earth. And you begin to get an idea of of the breadth of Jesus' meaning here. 
we've just turned from this broad appeal to crush the sinful inclinations in your heart and to lay down your life for your enemies, right? To, to plead with the Lord without any hope of honor because of righteousness, to, to give generously in secret, right? Like all of these things, from, from the, the giving of your dollars to the, to the stifling of your sin, is a reflection on whether or not you're investing on this, in this kingdom, on this earth. So, when you're thinking, pursue purity and crush lust in your heart, you need to be associating that pursuit with these words, stop investing in this kingdom, right? When you're thinking about giving generously in secret so that nobody sees and honors you for all of your generosity, right? You need to be thinking about stop investing in this kingdom, This is a call to shift your investment strategy. Everybody I've ever known who deals with money, when you say, what's the best investment right now? They say, what do you mean? Because there's a complicated answer. Do you want your money in six weeks? Or do you want your money in 60 years? Right? Because... Because how you invest your money is going to depend entirely on where you're going, what your objective is. And that, I think, is, is like what Jesus is doing. You entertain lust in your heart. You, you spend your time and resources on impressing people. Sure, it's an investment, and it's going to yield. But that's a six-month investment. Right? That's, that's a this earth investment. That's not a, that's not a coming kingdom investment. You get the idea. When he says treasures, you're not just thinking about money. You're not just thinking about stuff. You're thinking about time. Time. How do you spend your time? You know what's funny is I think millennials don't have a lot of money. Right? Millennials don't have... We're young. I say we. I know I'm at the very distant edge, but I'm going to claim that in my pocket because, you know, I think it starts in 1984, which is the year I was born. But um, Millennials don't have a lot of money, and so it's easy to say, well, sure, I'm not investing in this kingdom. I don't have, look it, I got $22.57 in my savings account. Clearly, I'm not investing in this kingdom. But I, I want you to think about how you're spending your time and your house and your table and your food. Your margins. Where is that going? It's going to terminate on one kingdom or another. Now, Jesus doesn't just say, choose one and invest accordingly. He says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So Jesus calls you to take a step back and index how you're using your time. Take a step back and think about how you're using your money and how you're using your home and how you're using your table and how you're using your conversations. And, and, and you can trace that thing to where your heart really is. Where your heart really is. 
Call yourself a Christian, but trace your actions. Are they Christian actions? Are you kingdom-oriented in the way you're spending your time and your money and your stuff? Jesus says there's good reasons not to make that short-term investment. He says, like he says, where uh, rust destroys, right? Where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Well, back in the day, there weren't a whole lot of banks in ancient Palestine. And so people took their stuff and they put it in their storage closet, which is usually a you got an out, outer wall. There's not a whole lot of rooms in these houses. You've got an outer wall, and then you've got a storage closet on the inside. It's the only door they could lock. We talked about this not long ago. Um, but a lot of these homes were made of, like, material you could dig through. Okay? And so a sneaky thief would dig through the outside of the back of a house and then dig through the wall um, uh, of the storage closet and... All of a sudden, all your treasures are gone, right? What he's touching on is not just the three exclusive situations where you might lose your stuff. He's touching on the fleeting nature of treasure in this kingdom. I remember vividly uh, when I started uh, my, my uh, first class at Southwestern Seminary was in 2008. Um, and the night after the major crisis in 2008, the housing bubble burst, the major crisis unfolds. And I, I remember vividly my teacher looking at us with this expression of horror and saying, I lost half of my retirement last night. That's what he's touching on. You can enjoy your stuff now here today you can have no confidence that stuff will be here tomorrow. And you can have every confidence that on the other side of the grave, none of that stuff is going to matter to you. And then, just to highlight what everybody knows, Jesus says, the treasures in the next kingdom, there's no corruption there. You can have every confidence that the treasures you lay up in, in the next kingdom are going to stick around forever and ever and ever. All right. The point is that ultimately how you spend your time and your money and your stuff is a reflection of where your heart is. And then Jesus is going to keep on driving our attention on that heart. All right, read the next passage, verse 22. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, the whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? All right, so this is a little tricky for me to wrap my mind around because um, the language isn't uh, immediately accessible to us on some level. We have language similar to this that we use all the time. And, and so I'm going to just suggest to you that when you're reading this, you replace temporarily this eye language with vision language. If you replace this eye language with vision language, you can capture a lot of what's meant in this passage. There is a consistent use of eye imagery throughout the scriptures. Like 
For instance, in Psalm 119, 36 and 37. The eye, the eyes are something like a representation of your attention. Something like a representation of your thought life and your hope and your vision. So eye and heart are often used interchangeably, right? In parallel. So when the eye is set on dark things, and and you should stop thinking really bad sins, and you should start thinking the promises of this temporary kingdom. That's the darkness. We have this really silly dichotomy between, like, ooh, the bad sins, and and these temporary flighty promises of this world. But that's the darkness too. It's all the darkness. Anything that would rob your allegiance from the coming kingdom is the darkness. When you set your eye on dark things, that dark vision has a wholly corrupting influence. The idea here is that when the promises of this dark kingdom occupy your attention and overtake your thought life, that corruption begins to extend to your behavior. It's like a cancer. Just, it, it doesn't stop. It just keeps going. Unless you do something radical to stop the growth of this all-consuming attention and, and hope, it's going to overtake you. It extends to your behavior and your day-to-day actions. And ultimately, those things that you think about become what you are about. This is a theme throughout the New Testament. How do we stay faithful? What do we do? We sing songs and hymns and spiritual songs to one another. We encourage one another in the truth. How do we stay faithful? We think about the things that are above, not the things that are below, right? Set your eye on the kingdom and you will walk in the light. Set your eye on this kingdom and you will walk in the darkness. Where your vision is, there your feet will follow. Does it make sense? The things you think about become what you are about. So the implications then are pretty scary. If you set your attention on the things of this world and on the promises of this kingdom, it's only a matter of time before your vision consumes every word and every deed. So watch where your eyes are going. Watch where your attention is set. So very quickly, we've explored two concepts. One, how you invest your resources says a lot about your heart's hope. And two, how you invest your attention says a lot about your life's direction. And both of these concepts are fundamentally related to a universal truth. You can only serve one master. You can only ever serve one master. Now notice that the figurative categories we've been dealing with, like treasures and eyes and hearts, right? these figurative categories, there's a real shift to the literal, right? It says you can, only, you can choose to serve God or you can choose to serve, what does it say, money. All right, let's get into this term, money. 
Money isn't a great translation. It's almost universally recognized, by the way, that it's not a great translation. We just don't have the context in, in a short um, phrase like this to give the fullest translation. This word money that we translate money is actually a, a, a Greek transliteration, all right, which, which means the Greek just robbed from the Aramaic, and the reference is mammon. What is mammon? This is the word that Jesus is using, mammon. And it was so influential that after a time, the Greeks said, I don't have an equivalent for this, so I'm just going to use the word mammon. And then at some point when we translate it, we replace it with money. What is mammon? It doesn't mean money merely, not entirely. This word is a sort of personification of wealth and success. The idea is the promise of success in this life, the promise of prosperity and honor and wealth in this life, in this economy, is a taskmaster. It will drive your every action and intention. You buy into that promise, the promise of success in this world. And I know you're tempted to think money and you're tempted to think big houses, but it is as looming a promise of success that you can be big on social. Your voice is going to be important to the current conversation. All these looming promises of success are embodied in this personification of what the world is telling you it can give you if you just give it some time and attention. Right? That's mammon. The figure of mammon is this sort of imaginary personification of the world's promises. Jesus says you can only serve one master. You serve God or you serve mammon. You will either be a slave to God who promises rich rewards for those who trust Him. But, and we've just learned this, right? We've just been sitting here facing the dreadful dreadful specter of what it costs to follow Jesus. We are in awe and horrified at all that, that, that the Lord Jesus is calling us to be and do. And if, and if it's not scary, you haven't thought it long enough about it. The reward of God comes on the other side of a life defined by allegiance and preparation and service. Or, or you can be a slave to mammon. You can be a slave to the promises of success and prosperity in this life. Now, listen... Mammon, too, he gives reward to his most faithful followers. Sometimes riches, sometimes honor, sometimes pleasure, and sometimes peace. You are doing yourself a disservice if you don't take seriously the lavish reward of investing in this kingdom. Pleasure, peace, food, riches, honor, reputation... Yet mammon is a fickle master. 
And his wages rust and fade and are eaten away and stolen. And they certainly cannot be taken beyond the grave. So the point here is that you cannot serve both masters at the same time. You are, now I think this is a real implication. You are right now either enslaved to one or enslaved to the other. Right? You have set yourself in subservience. Not to both, but to one or the other. Your treasure and your vision and your subservience is being invested right at this moment in the kingdom of God or in the kingdom of this earth. It's simple enough. I want to ask you some tough questions. And I think you should spend some time thinking about how you how you would answer them now and how maybe even if you would answer them in a way, how your behavior and your actions and your expenditures and your checkbook would say you ought to have answered. All right? First question. How do you spend your stuff? How do you spend your stuff. How do you spend your money? When you have to buy something, what do you hesitate about buying? What do you not hesitate about buying? Go and look at your orders from Amazon.com. What are you spending your money on? All right, now let's abstract it a little bit further. How are you spending your home? Your home, the place where you find rest, peace and quiet. Are you spending your dining table on this earth? Or are you spending your dining table as an investment in the coming kingdom? Are you exhausting your home and your dining table on the least of these. What about your time? How big is your, how wide is your margin? What are you spending your margin on? You've got free time, probably you've got free time, maybe you don't, but, but if you do have free time, how are you spending that free time? Is it really free? You follow Jesus' logic in, in this passage, then the use of your resources is going to show you where your heart is. Honestly reflect on the state of your heart as evidenced by what you're doing with your stuff. And repent. That's why I highlighted the linguistic issue here. It's not do not lay up for yourself. It's stop laying up for yourselves. That's the application. Stop laying up for yourselves, treasures on earth. You can't serve two masters. I, when I have this stock market game thing going on, I always think, boy, what if I could go back in time? 
I had money in 1998. I had money. If I could go back in time and tell myself that this stock, which was worth 17 cents in 1998, is going to be worth $266 in 2020, 2022, I'd go, I'd go back and then I'd sell all my things, right? And I'd, and I'd wait it out and then I'd be a millionaire today. It's not true. Do you know how I know that it's not true? Because the promises of the kingdom are far greater than the promises of a million dollars in Apple stock. And that promise has been given to me for a long time. And what am I still doing with my stuff? I'm wasting it. This is a call to a sober reflection on how you're spending your time and your days and your money and your stuff. And Christ tells you to stop laying your life down in submission to the Master Mammon. All right, second one. This is harder to nail down, and it's also harder to reflect upon. What are you thinking about? What are you thinking about? Set aside that you've got like a pressing project or a deliverable that's due next Wednesday, and you've really got to, you know, devote a lot of time to get it ready. When you've got space in your mind to just think about things, when you've got an hour to just pick up an article or watch some YouTube, what are you thinking about? Where are you directing your vision? What shows populate your queue, right? What articles are you looking up? What Reddit channels are you, uh, what do you do? What are you Redditing? I don't know. <laughs> you get the idea. Your vision matters. Where you lay your eyes matters. And it matters not just because some of that stuff has a corrupting influence in and of itself. It matters because where you set your eyes will dictate where you set your feet. Uh, I'm, in a, I'm in the marketing industry. A lot of what we do, Tara and I, is, is marketing. And I have, as a part of that, had to follow the development of algorithms. Uh, almost everything you see on the internet was delivered to you by a machine. That's scary enough. But the machine is delivering to you things you want to see based upon what you've done in the past. Right? Which is why for Christians, what you see on social and on Google and on YouTube, when you just search for something, is a great way to reflect on what you've been thinking about for a long time. Right? Leverage the wicked tools of the enemy to become a better Christ follower. Right? I hate social. I, I made it clear. I don't like social media very much. Um, but if you're going to use it, boy, use it to audit your 
thought life, your time, your mind. How are you planning? How are you planning for the next month or the next year or the next decade? Are you a strategist? Do you think carefully ahead of time about what you're going to do with your time and your money? What you're going to do with your business? Whatever, how are you planning? Reflect on the attention you're giving the world and the kingdom and trace that to your allegiance. Does your vision terminate on God's kingdom or on mammon's? And then finally, think about your ambitions. Think about your ambitions. Are you leaning into a promise of wealth or success or comfort in this kingdom? Are you leaning into a promise of wealth or success or comfort in this kingdom? And I don't think that's the ultimate question. I think the ultimate question, the question you're going to have to allow to haunt you this week, is do you believe that you can enjoy prosperity in this kingdom and a rich inheritance in the next? Do you believe that you can pursue prosperity in this kingdom and a rich inheritance in the next? If you do believe that, then you are not taking Christ seriously. Now, that is not to say that Jesus does not, in His sovereignty, give some of His people wealth. But your pursuit is a reflection of your heart. And if you're pursuing the promises of this kingdom, then don't claim to serve both God and mammon. It is impossible to do. I want to pray for you. And what I want to pray is that you will honestly see you and where you've been going, what you've been doing with your stuff and your time and your attention and your ambitions. And there's not a one of us in this room who's going to leave a reflection on our time and attention and resources and ambition and think, boy, I've really been investing wholeheartedly in the kingdom. So when you face this spectacle of your double-mindedness, run to Jesus who is willing to help us in our unbelief. Ask Christ for a single-minded devotion to His kingdom. And let go of the promises of this world. Amen? Alright, let me pray for us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your patience, for your kindness. How explicitly do you call us to reflect on our hearts? How frequently do you invite us to, to turn anew to you, our Lord, who, who is willing to replace these trifles, the affection that we're placing in this world with with a vision for Your coming kingdom. Do it, Lord, by the might of Your Spirit in our hearts. In Christ's name, Amen.